have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the believer's journey. We're so thankful you're here. I say this a lot every program, but I really truly mean that. Um, I thank you for your support. I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for watching the program. I thank our sponsors. Um, It's just really a pleasure um, to have everyone who is support of this ministry. We've been doing it now two and a half years, and uh, we're doing well. And uh, anyway, uh, today we have another questions on the fly. This is the 11th one we have. Uh, we have a lot of questions that came in, and today my moderator is none other than my beautiful wife, Susan. Say hello. Good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, I just wanted to start off with, it, it's been a really interesting year. We, um, uh, not for our, our, I'm talking about, our, about the Believer's Journey, but just a just interesting year worldwide. It's been a... A lot of uh, pain all over the place. I know in uh, Eastern Europe, it's been a real struggle. Um, other parts of the world, and uh, our my heart, our hearts go out to you. And just to know that uh, those of you who are in these difficult areas, that we do pray for you as well, and um, you are in our hearts. Okay, so I guess we might as well just get off to it. We got several questions, and uh, Susan has uh, all the questions to ask me, and we're going to go ahead. I think what I'm going to start with is the questions people had that are related to relationship issues as a Christian. Uh, here's one from the United States. It says, "My husband and I are considering placing my mother in an assisted living community." You made a comment on one of your videos that according to the Ten Commandments about honoring your mother and father, we need to take care of our parents when they are old. My husband and I are struggling with this decision. What does the Bible say that can help us with our decision? (laughs) That is a real tough question. The reason why it's tough, I think, because the mindset, especially in, in our country, is that we have assisted living homes, we have, I guess they don't call them convalescent homes anyway, more nursing homes and so forth, and we want to send our parents because I guess we feel our lives are so busy, we don't want to compl- uh, get them uh, convoluted or, or disrupted. But the Bible does teach uh, that we need to honor our parents, and I think the misnomer is that we are taught that honoring our parents is basically saying yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. You know, take out the trash. Yes, sir. You know, don't do this. Yes, sir. You know, it's all about obeying and showing respect with this yes, sir, no, sir. I'll do it. I won't do it, or whatever you tell me, I'll do as children. But the Bible isn't written necessarily for just children here. We're, we're written to adults. So I don't think as a 68-year-old person, myself, um, or anybody in their 50s or 40s or whatever, um, need to respond to their parents in a way of, yes, ma'am, and be being ordered or told what to do, and they need to respond to that. I mean, the Bible teaches as you get married, you leave your mother and father, okay? So you're, you have your own network, your own family. So when we go back in time, uh, in Judaism, in, in the Old Testament, that era, how did they honor their parents? Well, they took care of them when they were old. You know, you, you didn't, they didn't have homes to send them to. They didn't have nursing homes and, and so forth. And so they, they just didn't do that. Um, so I believe that it's important that we honor our parents in, in taking care of them. If you read in um, 1 Timothy 5, in fact, that's probably a really good passage to read. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 8, I believe, deals with, you know, the way we uh, honor one another, the way we respect 
parents, grandparents, widows, orphans. I mean, it really talks about that. And there's a passage in there. I'm not sure if it's in verse 4, 5, or 6. But it talks about uh, respecting in worship and respecting your parents and repaying them, you know, what is due them from what basically what has been they've been given to you. Well, the way we repay them, what they've done to, for us, is we, we honor them in their old age, you know. Um, and I think that's really important. It It's not necessarily that we repay them monetarily, but because that's not the issue here. We repay them in respect. We repay them in honor. We repay them by what they've done for us, we do for them. In fact, uh, you and I, my wife and I, we... Um, we had this situation where your mother uh, and your father needed a place to live. Mostly, well, they were married, so we needed both. <laughs> but it was your mom that needed care, and your dad couldn't do it. So talk about that, Susan. Well, everybody's situation is different, but in this particular instance, because my mom had dementia, uh, it was increasingly difficult for my dad to take care of her by himself, especially because she tended to fall. And it would take us, you know, at least 30 minutes before we could get there to help. And uh, we actually sold our home to get another home uh, that could accommodate their needs. And uh, it was really wonderful, uh, you know, to be able to help and be there for them. Uh, everybody's circumstances are different. If you have the space and can do it, the uh, resources to be able to do it uh, based on what the needs are, or uh, if somebody does need to be in an assisted living or special care type of situation because that can't be provided at home, uh, you know, as long as you're honoring them and taking care of them, uh, we have friends who have a mother with dementia who lives with them, but they both work full-time. So uh, through the mother's um, savings, they're able to cover the cost of having someone come in the home. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. It just is the idea that you don't turn your back on them when they're in need and treat them uh, with honor and respect to the best extent you're able to do. Yeah. In fact, well, after your mom passed away, then we had your father, and he stayed with us and uh, for several years. And uh, but yeah, the the couple that you were talking about, yeah, they work full time, and and they work full time in some long hour businesses, mm -hmm. and so they cannot be there. So they, like you said, and I don't know how they hire, but like you said, they, they do have mm -hmm. somebody there during the day when they're not there to help out. And I think if it comes down to having to put your mother in a um, assisted living home or not, uh, what I find is a crime is to put your parent in a, an assisted living home and leave them there and visit them once a month. Or, or never. Or never, yeah. Uh, you need There needs to be continual visits. They want to know that you care. And you should know that you care. And the way you show you care isn't by putting them in the home. It's by your presence. It's by right. your taking care of them. Um, that's all part of the honor and respect. Yes. And I think that's really important. So when we look at the Old Testament and the lifestyle they ran, they took care of, and they're told to take care of their parents when they're older. When you look at the New Testament in First Timothy, it's the same thing. You honor, you take care of your, your parents when they're older. Well, in a lot of cultures, that is understood that's what you do and but in many western nations now it's pretty much you fend for yourself and maybe throw money at somebody who needs some help but they giving your time and your resources is not you know and and i know there's times when i mean my mother had my grandmother live with her and she took care of my grandmother and uh before my grandmother was single, they were married, and my grandmother, my mom had both her husband and mm -hmm. and, and wife, or mother, grandmother, uh, move in with them, and they had their own room and their own area and so forth. And so I really do believe in, in the honoring by repaying, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And the fact that the way you repay is by giving to them what is given to you, which is honor and respect. It's about uplifting them. What makes a world of difference for their well-being when you stay connected? Yeah. So I, I can't tell you whether it's right or wrong to put your mother in an assisted living home or not, but I do believe if you put your parent into an assisted living home and you leave them there and don't visit them, I think that is dishonoring. Um, you know, we need to be careful of some of these uh, assisted living homes, these nursing homes, because a lot of times they don't have enough staff staff to cover and a lot of times they ignore the people who are in these homes uh, I've had two situations I've known where people have been in these homes they'll buzz because they have to go to the bathroom and the people don't come around to take them to the bathroom and so you know you need to be careful you need you're their what do you call it, advocate right you're their advocate for them when they're in these places so if you are going to do this you need to visit them all the time. You need to take care of them. Make sure that the hospital that you are paying is doing their job. And if you don't do that and you have them come live with you, well, then you, you just set up um, how they live with you. One of, the, one of the issues that you and I had when your dad was there was he, he was kind of uh, telling you what to do, bossing you. And so we had to set boundaries like, wait a minute, she's not your child as a child goes. She's an adult here. This is her home. And we had to draw those lines, didn't we? Yeah, but you, it's still a way of honoring your parents and you set things up, whether it's in your home or through an assisted living, that you don't just put them on a shelf and forget about them. Yeah, yeah. And that's true. With, with It doesn't matter how it works out. It's true. If you have, I mean, I, I know a really close friend of mine who there's two boys and their mother, they're considering pretty soon wanting to, one of them, take them in their home. So the issue is, so when they're in one of, your, one of their homes, the other brother, the other person shouldn't say, oh, they're taken care of, I don't have to go visit. No, you still honor your parent by visiting, by showing that you care, by giving back to them. It, it's just the way you do it. It just, uh, we had an issue because I think your father felt abandoned a lot of times, not by you, but by other family members. Other family members, yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a difficult decision, but as long as you know you're honoring that parent, then you're living by biblical principles. Yeah. And there you are. Well, another relationship question. Uh, this question is, from Moldova, uh, the person asks, is it possible to repair a marriage after it is broken? Once there is so much hurt, why is it important to fight and have conflict to fix your ruined marriage? <clears throat> okay. Um, well, number one, I, I truly believe that a marriage is... Um, basically sanctioned by God, doesn't matter how you got married, where you got married, or whether you say you're a Christian or not a Christian, it's still something God ordained and all in all. And I think that we need to understand that when we have problems in a marriage, and I know that Moldova has an amazing amount of issues for those who, before they get married, and then when they get married, and after they get married, because there's not a lot of parental guidance because you have parents, because it's such a poor country, you have parents living in other countries having to uh, support the family by sending money, but they're not there personally. So it's a real hard issue. So when you have a marriage that is breaking up or broken up, look at it this way. Here we are as human-type people. We're broken spiritually. And yet God still reaches out to us to repair that relationship. He tries to reunite himself with us. He did that for several years in the Old Testament by sending 
prophets by sending judges by different different ways. Finally, he he became a man, okay, and he did it through Jesus. So he over and over again, God has worked to try to repair a broken relationship. At whose expense? His expense. So when we look at broken relationships, broken marriages, even at our own expense, I think that the Bible proves to us that it's important that we repair those things. We, we find places of restitution. If you read in the book of Hosea, I mean, he had Hosea go after this person, marry this person who was a prostitute. She left and, and told him to go back, you know, and, and get her. And so basically, God did this. And if we're supposed to live in a manner that is, how does Ephesians say, um, to be um, imitators of him, then we need to do the same things that God has done for us. And if he has put himself on the line to reconcile relationship in a broken relationship with us, and even after we turn to him, aren't we still doing things that hurt him? Of course we do. And does God just blow us off and walk away and divorce us? No. He, he still reaches out to us. He still hurts. He still grieves. He still, I mean, the Bible talks about, we, obviously we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve him, hurt him. But he still reaches out to us. He still lays his life on the line. He still continues to do this. So why it's important is because when we are, are sacrificing, we're going the extra mile on our behalf to mend that relationship, we're actually imitating God, which the Bible says we're supposed to. The Old Testament says God hates divorce. We need to think about that. You know, He hates divorce. Why are we getting? Why are we getting divorced? Because we're unhappy. Because we fight. Because we argue. Well, those are no good reasons to argue, to divorce. Those are good reasons to stop arguing, fighting, and bickering. You know, and you learn to come together. Now. Are you divorcing because you hardly get to see your spouse? Well, that's another bad reason to divorce. There's, you know, there's things that bother us, but when you get married, you go into, I mean, what is it, for better or for worse, richer or for poorer, all those things, sickness and health, then don't say those vows. If you're going to say them, mean them, you know. Otherwise, you know, we need to think twice about when we get married. Now, if it's an issue about fidelity, and infidelity, rather, that's a whole other issue. And if a person is, is caused and has had an infidel uh, relationship that outside the marriage should have had, then if that person continues and won't stop, well, then that person, according to the Bible, has grounds for divorce. I, there's not always a way you can fix that one. You know, that, that is, uh, it's like when we turn away from God and keep walking and we say, forget it, God, I want nothing to do with you. There's nothing God can do. It's our choice. Well, it seems that you're saying as long as there are no biblical grounds to end the relationship, a couple should work on understanding what the issues are and problems are and try to resolve them. And... That is, if you are a Christian, the steps you should take. And even though there's been hurt and damage, it can be overcome. And there are people available who would be able to counsel and help direct things. Well, yeah. In fact, if you're in Moldova, since this question came from Moldova, if you're in Moldova... Uh, I know, a, I know a, a missionary there. His name is Radu Kokush. Kukush. Kukush. <laughs> He's going to get me on that one. <laughs> um, he works with a crew, Campus Crusade, and he's in Kishnau. And you can look them up, and he works with families. He works in family ministry, and he counsels people who are going through hardships in their marriage. He counsels people before, before they're married. He actually performs marriage. He and his wife are amazing, and they're probably two of the best ministers I know. Okay? 
And so if you're in Moldova and you need to find somebody, there is somebody, look up crew in, in Chisinau and ask for Radu uh, or Luda, whichever, they're a couple, they work together and uh, it's really amazing. Now, if you're in the United States or other countries, just, you know, you go to, if you have a good biblical Bible teaching church you go to, you need to maybe seek out the pastor or seek out a good Christian Bible-based counselor. If a counselor is teaching clinical psychology, even though they call themselves a Christian counselor, that's not the kind of counselor you want to go to. You want to go one that teaches basic Bible teaching for their counseling, because they, they will give you guidelines where a, a clinical psychology will not. Okay, we have another relationship question. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd go with this theme for now. Uh this is from Eastern Europe. The country is not specified. It says, God called me to minister the gospel of Jesus, but I have little time for my wife and child. My wife gets mad, and we argue. How do I explain God's work is more important? <laughs> okay, so this is one of my pet peeves. It is really a... Um, you have to understand, if you're a minister out there, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a uh, missionary or, or some kind of a church leader or any kind of a um, parachurch, any, any organization you're wor working is a minister. If you are in a family, if you're married, and if, if you do or don't have children, if you have a family, it's important that your family you understand they are the cornerstone of your ministry. You know, I mentioned that passage in 1 Timothy 5, um, I think it's in verse 8, I'm not sure, but it talks about um, it, if uh, you the, somebody who does not provide for their family is worse than an um, unbeliever. And we take that passage and we take the word provide and we think it has to do with monetary provision. But the word provide there that is in the Greek doesn't mean provide monetarily. Okay, It means something to uh, provide for, give to, help out. And we're talking about you know, faith. We, we talk about the beginning of this very passage. We're talking about relationships and how to honor in relationships. He gets into widows and orphans and taking care of widows and orphans. And he gets back into the whole idea of faith and honoring and, and working out your faith. So I think that we need to understand your, your family is really important that you minister to them. I would say that if you're not ministering to your family, to your spouse or your children, then you should not be in the ministry at all. I mean, I, that's a pretty bold statement, but that's my belief. And because uh, God would not call somebody to the ministry that will not take care of their family. Right. I, I truly believe that with all of my being. I've seen pastors who are amazing, do wonderful work. You know, I've seen a pastor who's built a church from 80 people to 25,000 people. And he raised their children and loved his children and his wife and took time with his family. And he's got two, two of his children are in the ministry. One's a fireman. And he took time with that family. And he raised those kids. And he made sure that they were focused. Yet he still built a church of 25,000 people. Okay, one of the largest churches in the United States. So you can't tell me uh, if you're working so hard with your 100, 200, 2,000, 5,000 member church or parachurch or whatever you're doing that you don't have time. I also know of a pastor who has four children and he's worked in churches that have 100, 500 and so forth. And all of his four kids are amazing. He spent time with them. He did things with them. And he has some in the ministries, but they're all Christians. They're all believers. And, and it's amazing. And they spent time with their family. However, I know other pastors who it's so important to build their church and build their ministry that now they have children and they've grown up and they don't go to church. They don't believe in God. They don't follow whatsoever. And they've never spent time with them. On my program, 
I had a girl named Mandy Majors. We did a called. She's with Next Talk. If you go back to my program a couple times ago, um, Next Talk, and we talked. She talked about raising children, and in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, verses six and seven. Actually, even start off with verse five. It talks about the commandments of God, like loving without your whole heart, all your being. And these commandments, you need to teach your children. You know, every day. When you wake up, when you lie down, it's like constantly this needs to be on your heart, on your mind, in your soul, on your lifestyle, that your children, your family is totally considered part of what you're teaching so that they will go and remain and carry it on. Well, the Old Testament is teaching this stuff. And here we are living in the New Testament thinking it's more important that we uh, serve Jesus in a ministry and let our family go. Well, that's a real problem with me. Well, another problem with that, too, is uh, you're making the church an idol. Exactly. And, or, or you're trying to... Well, it's hard to say you're making Jesus an you're, you're making the ministry an idol. Exactly. That's you're making the ministry yeah. of God because now the ministry has become more important to you than the teachings of the Word, the teachings of Scriptures to you of following the teachings of God. And if you can't follow the teachings of God, well, obviously your ministry has become an idol and a god to you, and now you're in adult an idol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And let's see. Here's another one that is not quite the same, but it's still a relationship type issue. This one is from the United States. It says, "My pastor is an amazing preacher and speaks often about living transparent." And living in righteousness. He has many people who like and follow him. But I know he lies and is not always honest. What is my position biblically since he is my pastor and leader? Okay, so you're not the only person with this issue. <laughs> Trust me. I did a program, and maybe, you're, maybe this is coming from this program. I did a program on integrity. Okay. And my problem is, is that, is that as, a, as a Bible teacher, okay, and as a pastor, we seem to have to have a certain front. And I, and I, I grew up this way. I, I saw this. I, uh, I was lucky that I grew up with a pastor who was totally honest. I mean, when I talk about honest, it wasn't that he always said the truth. It's that he lived the truth. He lived honestly. He wouldn't tell you half a truth and not the other half so that you believe something that wasn't totally correct because that, he told me, was dishonesty. And we have a lot of people who are that way. I think Jesus himself confronted the Pharisees and you know the, the scribes and so forth about this very issue in being dishonest and being honest and what it really meant. And he basically called them vipers and hypocrites and so forth. And I believe that if you happen to have a pastor that is, you know that he lies, you know that he's untruthful, or you know there's certain things about his lifestyle that might not be righteous, then the Bible says that we need to confront them. You know, it, it, it doesn't say that because he's a pastor, you don't you don't need you can't say anything because he's above and over you. He's a leader. He's a leader that's supposed to be in the care of the church that Jesus has handed to him. And he needs to take care of that position as uh, one who's been given that uh, gift, I should say, or that position by God himself. So he is representing God. And if his representation of God is that which is dishonest, well then you're going to lose people and you could even turn people away from God because of your dishonesty. And there are some warnings in the Bible about doing that very thing. I mean, some pretty drastic warnings. And I think that if we're not careful as ministers, then we can probably face some pretty, what, what's the good word? Um, Repercussions. Is that pretty heavy repercussions? You always finish my sentences. <laughs> well, I help you find words. So I think, 
I, you know, and if you feel like you can't approach that pastor, your pastor, I, I don't know. I don't know if there would be someone else to go to. I don't know if you're in a, I don't know, where did this come from? It's from the United States. Okay, so usually in the United States, there are other churches. If you feel like you, you can't approach this pastor, or if you have approached them and they just laugh you off, or, or, or if they um, tell you you're, in, you're out, of, out of order, there's other churches you can go to. I mean, you don't have to stick with that particular church, obviously. If it's going to uh, affect you in a way that's negative, that might hurt your service, because we're, why we go to church is to serve others, to build others up. If what the pastor is doing is affecting your service for others, and that pastor will not change or will not look at that or will not listen to you or put you down for even confronting them, because I know there are men that have done that, then go to another church. Go to a Bible-believing church where the pastor is totally honest. And you can work in that church with service to Jesus. Because that's really why we're in church. We're not there just to listen to a pastor, feel like we're patted on the back and walk away. We're there to uplift other people and pray for people and be a service to them. If we read Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us why we go to church. And it's really important to know that's the reason why. So, I don't know if you have any comments on that. Well, I think going to speak to him directly about the issues that seem to be untruthful is good because that you want to discuss it and confront it and not be the type of person who goes around and talks to other people about it because that doesn't solve the issue. And at least he'll know exactly where the pastor stands having that conversation, whether he feels he needs to change or he doesn't see a problem with what he's doing, that will become apparent. And then this person can make the choice as to whether he needs to seek another place. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because... um, Now, I get confronted all the time, not because of my behavior as much as my teaching. You know, just, just, uh, just... the other day or yesterday, I got uh, somebody told me that they weren't sure they agree with my teaching on the relationship between a husband and a woman. That you know, talking about uh, how ro- the role of a husband, he wasn't sure he liked that idea of the role of the husband. And so after we talked, it was uh, good. But he but he actually confronted me, which I think is important. He confronts you confront each other. I think that, um, and, and I worked for a pastor one time where I looked up to this guy, and I knew him, and he, he had been a pastor many years, and I worked for him, but uh, he and his wife would bicker all the time, you know, and once in a while they'd bicker in front of church, people in church, and it's like, you you know, I, you can't be doing this. You're going to bicker, do it in private, you know, and behind closed doors if you have to do it. And I've, I've approached other pastors that I've worked for, and, uh, and you have to do it. And depending on your response, I think is what you'll get your answer. If the, if the response is humble, you know, uh, when I approached a pastor that I didn't necessarily work for, but I attended the church and I was a leader in the church, when I approached him and I said, you're, what you're saying in your teaching is incorrect, and he didn't believe me, so we looked it up, and he says, oh, well, I guess you're right. Okay. He was humble. He was very humble. And to me, that gave me my answer with the pastor, like, hey, this is a good place to be, because he was humble. With humility, I felt he is running this church, and that's why it grew the way it did. But when a pastor's not, then you got to decide for yourself, okay, Jesus, what do I do? Where do I go? Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm glad. <laughs> okay. I think this is the last in sort of the relationship type questions. Um, this one might take a while. <laughs> this one is from a variety of different areas of the world. Uh, the question is, my pastor teaches that the Bible says wives are to be obedient to their husbands. Regardless what the husband says, the wife is to obey as they would to Jesus. 
On your program, you rejected this teaching. How do you think your Bible teaching is correct when the Bible clearly says for wives to obey or submit to their husbands? <laughs> Did I open up a nice can of worms? <laughs> well, how do you think about this one? No, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer it. We'll go to you uh, in a second. <laughs> go ahead, if you want to first. Well, I, I think it's pretty clear that uh, people interpret those passages in the Bible to suit their own um, area of interest and the husbands that say their wives have to be obedient like to interpret it that way but that is not your interpretation and a lot of things as they are written in the Bible are misunderstood as to the context of what's being said so you can clarify that I think, and, and it is, I don't know if you remember this, when, when my wife and I, before we were married, I approached her and I said to her, uh, by the way, I don't believe in, in a husband-wife relationship where the husband is the boss and tells the wife what to do and she's basically obedient, gets on her knees and does whatever he says. Do you remember that? Yeah. And you said, I agree. Yes. <laughs> I remember you said I agree. Well, why wouldn't I? <laughs> However, after we got married, you you showed signs that you the obedience part was a big thing, which lent me to understand you've been in a relationship where you had to be obedient. And that was an issue. So, I know that there's a lot of people and a lot of the church not just in the United States and this comes from, obviously, this comes from all over the world, this question here. I know I dealt with it last week, and this is probably why. Um, first off, if we go to the passage I was talking about in Ephesians 5, the word obey is not even in there. So let, let's just scratch that right off the bat. If you read the, the scripture, it says that for hus uh, wives, you need to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That is the verse. Now, let's go to the verse before that in verse 21. It says... That we need to, he's talk, Paul is talking to the people in Ephesus, and he says that we need to submit to one another. Okay, so if your husband and wife are believers, right off the bat, it says you need to submit to one another. Okay, then it goes, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Now, let's just stop there. We'll put it aside, and let's go to husbands, because I'm almost positive we're talking to husbands at this question. Okay. Let's look at, don't worry about your wife's responsibility and what it says to your wife. Let's look at, worry about what God is saying to you. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say husbands love your wives, period. It says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, the passage isn't saying to us that we need to be willing to go die for our wives. That's just not what it says. It says, love as Christ loved the church. So, what Jesus even said in, in John 13, he says, he wants, he's telling the disciples this, to love one another as I have loved you. At this point, he's not even gone to the cross. So when we can talk about how did Jesus love them, we can go to verse chapter 5 of Ephesians and realize how Jesus loved the church. Well, and I mentioned this on the program. He spent time with the church. Okay, do you spend time with your wives? Quality time, not just sitting down, eating, and going to your room watching your, your football games or wherever country you're from, whatever fo football games, yeah, because soccer is all over. Um, it's not about, uh, it's quality time that you bond together, you become intimate. And when I use the word intimate, I mean that you're sharing your soul, you're sharing your life with that person. Uh, not, that's not a sexual thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about something you, you come together and you just are, like my, my wife, she finishes my sentences. She finds the words for me that I'm looking for. I mean, there, that's in, you can't do that unless you have that intimate relationship, okay? Um, what else did he do? He prayed for the church. Are you praying for your wife? Does she know you pray for her? Are you praying out loud for her? Okay, I know you're laughing at that one, but, <laughs> you know, this is important, you know? 
my wife just went on a little trip to Houston. I know it's not very far, but it's a four-hour drive, and what did I do? I prayed for my wife. I was, for some reason, I felt concerned about the drive, uh, both there and back. And guess what? When I told her that, she says, you know what? I kind of prayed for me, too, on my way back. I was concerned about my drive. For some reason, you know, they need to know you pray for them. That's what Jesus did. Uh, what else did he do? He healed the church. Now, what can we do? We can comfort them. If you talk to most any psychologist or any woman, what is comforting? It's healing. You know, and, and that's really important we understand that. Um, he fed the church. He f- provided for the church. Are we providing for our wives? You know, and, and lastly, he served the church. Jesus said, I didn't, I came to serve, not to be served. So if Jesus came to serve and not to be served, and we're thinking our wives need to submit, then we've got it backwards because Jesus didn't come here to be served. Just like you husbands didn't get, shouldn't get married to be served, you need to get married to serve. That's what Jesus did. And the scripture says to love your wives as Jesus loved the church. Well, how did he love it? He served the church. He said he came to serve the church. He did serve the church. Shoot, when he was in the upper room, he washed the disciples' feet. Even at the point where Peter said, no, you don't do this to me. I do it for you. Jesus says, no, if you don't do it for me, then you're not a part. I do it for you. You're not a part of me. We need to be servants to our church. We need to do that because Jesus was a servant leader. He was not an ogre boss who told his church what to do. Okay, what does that tell husbands? We're not to be ogre bosses that tell our wives to do. You don't sit on the couch and the remote control is two feet away from you. Your wife is in the kitchen and you tell your wife, hey, go give me the remote and hand it to me. That's ridiculous. That's not being a servant leader. It's not, in fact, that has no respect whatsoever. And I've seen men do that. Okay, we need to be servant leaders. That's what Jesus was. The Bible says we need to be like Jesus and you be a servant leader. Now, when you're doing this, you will find that your wives, or wife, depends if you're maybe more than one, one or one. more. One. One at a time. In some countries, you can be more than one. Yeah. But if you're, your wife will most likely respect you, submit to you, a whole lot more and easier than if you're an ogre boss. You need to fulfill your role first your position, your responsibility, which is to be a servant leader. That's what Jesus was. The Bible says that we love him because God first loved us. Hello? So husbands, your wife will submit to you if you first love her. I mean, think about it. If you put it in the terms the Bible talks about, in totality of the relationship Jesus has with the church, then you need to love your church, your wife, as Jesus loved the church. And then you'll find that respect. Then you'll find that honoring. Then you'll find... That's well, I also think that people may misunderstand that uh, passage in terms of if a husband is considered a spiritual leader, they're seeing that as all authority and dictating uh, the terms rather than being a guide. And Jesus family. was a spiritual leader. Right. But again, he said it came to serve. Right. So, pastors, a pastor is not to be a big authoritative leader. Hey, you do what I tell you. They're there to serve. They're there to lead and guide and guide to so that people will find light in the way they need to honor Jesus and serve him. I mean, that's really what it's all about. The the marriage, the husband and wife is a perfect perfect uh picture of Jesus in the church. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect picture. And the very last verse of that that segment there in about the marriage in Ephesians, verse 33, it says, so basically, wives, you need to honor your husbands, and husbands, you need to love your wives. That's really where it's coming down to, is that he, he sums it up. Mm-hmm. Wives honor, husbands love. Right. So you all have your responsibilities. So don't worry too much about what your wives should do, what you want them to do. Be considerate about what you're supposed to do first. Right. I think that 
hopefully answers everybody's questions. You may get more. Hope we have more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that was the end of the relationship uh, theme questions. This one is really, uh, you know, current events type of question. Uh, This question was from Eastern Europe. With all the bad things happening in the world, does that mean that God turned his back on us? And I can see this with, you know, an eye to what's going on with Ukraine. Uh, Certainly, there are a lot of people wondering, you know, why are these things going on and is God still there for us? And I'm sure any part of the world where you have conflict and all sorts of things going on, natural disasters, it just seems one thing after the other, which has happened throughout history, but it does cause some people to question where God is in relationship to uh, his people. And this is from Eastern Europe? This is from Eastern Europe. That would make a lot of sense because, you know, with um, Russia moving into Ukraine, and I don't know if you're, I'm not getting many people right now from Ukraine watching the program. I think Um, they're a little busy. I think even Russia, because usually I have more people from there. But, no, that doesn't mean God turned his back on us. Basically, God is still alive. He's still living. He's still working in the world. Um, I think one of, the, one of the misnomers is that we think today that if we're a Christian, God is supposed to bless us with all kinds of good and wonderful things, and if he's not, that means we must have a problem in our relationship with him, which is really not true. I mean, if you look at the first century church after Jesus rose, in, uh, ascended into heaven, I mean, for several years there, also we had persecutions. We had, I mean, the persecutions were stoning. The persecutions were uh, put on the cross, you know, crucifixion to the cross and hundreds of people so does that mean that god turned his back then no it just people are evil and people are going to commit these evils now our response is what are we going to do in the face of evil are we going to just throw up our hands and say well i guess god turned his back so god isn't doesn't care so i can live the way i want and and, and forsake god and also no we still need to look at god and say okay what do you want me to do you know does he want to protect you? Yes, he does. I mean, there's all kinds of places where God does protect his people. But does that mean that all people who are believers will never get any kind of hurt or go through pain? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's just part of life. It's because sin has overtaken the world, and it's, it's a snowball effect. One of the things that I truly believe is we are in the end days. And part of lots of these things that are happening are producing the the whole idea of the coming of the end days, the, when we looked at the tribulation or whatever it might be, however you want to follow that teaching. But I really believe that we are in the, the end days. Ever since the Jews have come back to Israel, we've seen an amazing amount of things unfold, you know, to today. Um, so when I look at... Uh, what's happening in in Eastern Europe, um, I think, you know, it's it's awful. It's terrible, the things that that are happening, what Putin is actually doing. Um, I think he's, I think he's very evil. Mm -hmm. He's very uh, self-centered and wants only what he wants. And basically, you know, it doesn't matter who he hurts. That's part of the sin in the world. Um, we still need to understand that Jesus loves us, Jesus cares for us, and Jesus wants us to live our life for him, you know, totally, you know. And uh, that the world, these things, I, th- I think, it may not, but I think these things will even get worse. Maybe not in Eastern Europe, but in places of the world. We have, like you said, places all over the world that things are happening, you know, and they've, happened throughout history, but right now, in the last few years, we've had things globally happening and, and basically getting worse and worse. But I think God is still here. You know, you can still see his handiwork. You can still see him working. You just obviously also see the evil as well. Well, my response to this is 
you know, God has always been there throughout history, and he allows things to happen, and he knows the reasons and meanings for those things that happen that we can't understand from our perspective. And that, you know, doesn't mean he's not there. <clears throat> he In the Bible, you always hear about being in the valley or on the mountaintop. You know, there's a lot of um, scripture that relates to periods of time where the people question whether God has turned his back on them, but he hasn't, and there's always going to be a storm. It's not if there's a storm in your life, it's when. And some people have gone through life where things have been calm and without any major upheavals, and so when it happens, it's very unsettling, and they feel, well, God was with me and he's probably turned his back on me now. And that's not the case. And it's just a matter of the perspective and knowing that you can trust God and trust his work. And even Paul, Paul says, you know, he found it an honor and a privilege to suffer for Jesus. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, it's perspective. It's how you look at it. You know, things have happened to me. Things have happened to you, you know, um, to most everybody. But it's how, do we, how are we going to deal with it? Are we going to get angry with God? I mean, in the, old, in the Revelation, it says when, when certain judgments are happening, people started getting angry with God. So are we going to deal with, it with that? Or are we going to deal with it, uh, well, things have happened to me. Okay, God, how can you use me because of this mm-hmm. or in spite of this? Well, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it didn't eradicate evil in the world. Right. And that's the reality of what we live with. And so the important thing is to belong to him and know where our tomorrow is. Yeah. I can tell you, in, in, the, in the United States, uh, two years ago and a year ago, people kept putting on Facebook, you know, God heal our land, God heal our country, God heal our nation, over and over again. However, these same people will be living in sin, doing wrong things, and not wanting to turn from their wicked ways or their way of lifestyle. And the Bible teaches us if we want healing of our land, of our nation, then we need to turn from our ways and turn to him and totally commit to him. Well, if we're not willing to do that, then why would we think that God is going to heal something that we're not willing to give up from ourselves to? And the Bible teaches us. So basically... If we want healing, if we want real structure there, then we need to be willing, as a group of believers, to sacrifice our our lifestyle of sin, put it aside, and turn to Him and walk with Him. Okay, I think we have time for maybe another question. Let's see if there's something that can have a quick answer. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is a quick answer. Uh, this is from the Philippines says, I am attending a Protestant church. My family is persecuting me because I left the Catholic church. Please help me with advice. Uh, I know that's a real tough one. Um, I mean, it happens in the United States. I'm sure it happens everywhere. You know, And I don't think this is just to the Catholic church because I know that there's places that the Orthodox church is the same thing where families, uh, they persecute or they turn away from their own family if they go to a a Protestant church or so forth. Um, I really, this is a hard answer. I'm not sure if I have enough time, but um, you still want to honor your family. I mean, uh, I cannot tell you that the Catholic Church is a sinful organization. I, I can tell you that there are people in the Catholic Church that I believe who are sincere about following Jesus. And I think there's people in the Catholic Church who all they want to do is, you know, get pat on the back and feel good about going to a service and think that they're on their way to heaven when they're not. I also have a problem with the, the control issue, which is what this person is dealing with, that the church does. And it's like if you leave the church, then you're 
ostracized or excommunicated or you're not really going to heaven, you're not part of God. I mean, just really a lot of stuff there. Um, I think, and I know people who are, are Christians who actually attend a Protestant church who are Catholic or from a Catholic background, and then they'll, they'll also attend the Catholic church to help their own family, to know, let them know that they're still part of them. But they get their nourishment, their spiritual nourishment, actually comes from their, their evangelical or Protestant church they go to, the Catholic church they attend because they want to make, let their family know that they, want, they honor their family. And uh, what that does is when issues come up, then you're able to more intelligently talk to your family about Jesus. Because, as you know, you know, there's a lot of uh, people in these denominations like Catholicism or the Orthodox Church that they don't read their Bible or read it very much. And all they get is the information from their prayers or, or uh, statements coming from their priests that may or may not be accurate and it may or may not teach them anything except for to be a good person and go to church. Well, as someone who was raised a Catholic and now no longer... Uh, follows that teaching, I can see his this person's dilemma because their family truly believes the teachings of their church that uh, probably that by going to a Protestant church they have lost the ability to go to heaven. And that's difficult to overcome. So by just continuing to tell them that they are a believer and support that with the scriptures and everything that are the same as what their families believe, maybe they can come to an understanding that, you know, their soul is not in the danger they think it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting because the Catholic doctrine, I mean, they believe in the uh, Apostles' Creed. I mean, so, so do the Protestant churches. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, they believe in the Bible as the Word of God. They believe in God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. They believe in all of that. It's, it's pretty much the same. So if, if those who are in the Catholic, that family, if that person, if you can talk to their, their family and say, yeah, I believe all these things, and this church I go to teaches those things, and if they can understand that, there might be... This doesn't always happen, but it might be a understanding that their child or family member isn't forsaking God. They're, you know, because I know that there's a, the thought in a lot of areas that like the Catholic is the only one true church, you know, and I know that's a that's a biggie. But I feel like you know, um, if you can balance the two, your Protestant that you church you go to and the Catholic Church because you're a family, that would probably be the best solution. Right. And it looks like you're almost out of time. We are. You know, real quickly, I have a uh, we have a, a friend of ours who started going to my class. She's from a Catholic church and she would go to both. Mm -hmm. Now she doesn't. She just goes to the Protestant church, but she would go to both and uh, for a long time. She got baptized in our church, and then finally she weaned off the Catholic Church. And so you know, it, there's there's always hope, there's always life. Um, but all in all, with all these questions and all this situation, is is being true to the teachings of the Scriptures, being true to Jesus. If we can honor Him in our lives, our lifestyle, our voice, the things we do, the things we say, if we have to. Uh, approach somebody. These questions you're asking have a lot to do with con confrontation. Mm -hmm. We have to approach somebody because of what you see in them that is not correct or bothers you. If you do it in a spirit of Jesus, of the spirit of love, uh, aloha, as we say it in Hawaii, then I think you'll you'll go a long way. It's like they say, you know, you you capture more. Uh, you gather more flies with honey than with vinegar. Exactly. So, you know, that's really the answer to a lot of your, your you know, relationship type questions. Well, thank you for joining me today. It was fun. Yeah. So, I haven't seen you in a week, so this is kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, everybody, thank you for joining us today. You have a, an amazing week. Um, and, uh, Lord, we 
with you in Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com. 